Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. And we know you are as shocked as we are that we have gone two weeks in a row with a show. Yeah, but it uh, had to happen with a holiday weekend. It, well, not necessarily. I mean, we could have gone away. We didn't. No, we had to have the extra day to be able to go two weeks in a row. Yeah, apparently. Now, we're not having a show next week. No. So, sorry <laughs> okay. about that. There, <laughs> the trend can't continue forever, but... Yeah, we, we have a graduation party, so we, we won't have a show next week. Uh, but yeah. Two in a row. Woo-hoo. Oh, wait. Damn it. I just got a message here. Um, note from the race stewards. We got a five-second penalty for not running three weeks of shows and two points on our imaginary not super license. That's awful. How dare they? Don't they understand that there are other podcasts out there that don't run every week? Well, it's just... I mean, even the BBC doesn't run every week. It's just that the stewards are on a roll. I think I'm being unfairly penalized. Well, to to put this in perspective, I I actually, because I thought it was just nuts this week. I did a little bit of research on this. Oh, a little bit of internet research? A little bit of research on this. So... Oh, wait a minute. For those not in the studio... There's notes. There's not only notes. He has an actual notepad in front of him. He never has an actual notepad in front of him. So going into the start of the race, so over the free practice sessions, qualifying and all that, already three drivers had penalties at the start of the race on Sunday. Oh my. By the end of the race, 10 different drivers got penalties. 12 different penalties were handed out. Oh, no, more than 12 penalties. 14 different penalties were handed out. And nine drivers were, were throughout the entire course of the weekend called to the stewards for questioning. Of those, Eight of them were post-raced on Sunday. In total, four drivers managed to get off without an investigation or a penalty throughout the course of the entire weekend. Four. Four? Out of control this past weekend. So we had Norris with a penalty. Well, actually going into it, but going into the, the race on Sunday, we had Ocon and Raikkonen who got penalties in free practice that were applied to the race. Vettel, who got a penalty during qualifying that was applied to the race. Then we had Norris, Perez with two, Sonoda with two, Latifi with one, Mazepin with one, Raikkonen with one, Lance Stroll with one, and Giovinazzi with one. Oh my word. Out of control this weekend. That's crazy. And that doesn't even take into account the number of times that race laps were, or um, practice laps and qualifying laps were times were deleted for exceeding track limits, which I totally agree with as a penalty. But when you how talk about, about all of the other things. How about it doesn't even take into account the two drivers that got black and white flags for exceeding track limits during the race? Exactly. In addition to that. And, oh, but, and, and this was the other thing about that one in particular that struck me. And we heard the radio message from Kimmy and frustration about it. But normally, when drivers get warnings for exceeding track limits during a race, we hear about that before the black and white flag hits. Mm-hmm. 
We didn't hear it until the black and white flag hit. Well, maybe and it Kimmy was, good... was was upset about that. Well, maybe that was a function of the fact that we had too many penalties to be dealing with to actually give warnings. I, I have no idea. I mean, it was nuts. So do you have a theory or a fact about why this particular race was so penalty out of control? Penalty-licious, as it were. Initially, my thought was to lay the, the blame straight at the feet of Derek Warwick. Because you don't like Derek Warwick. Um, because I seem to recall back a couple of years ago before Formula One went for this push of, you know, we need to let the drivers race and we need to, to not be quite so harsh around some of these racing incidents and penalties around them, that Derek was one of the ones who would slap penalties on pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Seem to recall that. Now, I believe he's been a driver steward multiple times since then but yeah now the only thing that i can truly applaud the the stewards for is that at least through the race when it came to the penalties they were consistent they were they applied it to one they applied it to everybody you knew that if you were coming around turn three and you sneezed before the apex you were getting a penalty (laughs) (laughs) There were no penalties for actually sneezing. Felt like it. Wasn't quite that bad. You run somebody off the road at turn three, you were getting a penalty. Well, okay, so, and actually before I even jump into that, let's talk about Lando Norris as the first one to get the penalty for some of that. Um, In addition to his penalty, he got two points on his license. Now, why I'm pointing that out is because that brings him to 10 points on his license. Ouch. He did have two drop off this weekend. So basically, he's still he's, at 10. He's still at 10 um, but he's going to sit at 10 until, uh, I believe it's October or November, which means he's two points away from a race ban. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's not good. So Lando's a bit upset by this, obviously. Um, he says that um, penalty points should be reserved for errors which put people in danger rather than racing incidents. Now he goes all the way back to Baku, which is when he got his last round of points. He said, my approach to the incident in Baku with the red flag and not boxing what I should have done, I didn't put anyone in harm's way. In fact, the opposite, and I did everything safely. Why should I deserve penalty points for that? Why should I deserve penalty points today for someone going into the gravel? So yeah, nothing I've done is dangerous. I feel like maybe in some cases you deserve an on-track penalty because you've done something bad in terms of racing and you just made a mistake. But then you have things that people do every now and then which are purely dangerous. So if you do generally overtake in a yellow flag and do something that's clearly a rule that will put people in danger, then I understand penalty points for a driver. And if that adds up, you'll get a race ban. But for little things like this, it's just stupid in my opinion. It's not what Formula One should be, and I would expect and hope that other people would back me up on this kind of an opinion. And sure enough, Max, who was in the same conference, uh, press conference, backed Lando up on this. He said, let's say, how many penalty points do you get? Two? So if you would have six of these incidents, I don't think you deserve a ban for what he did today. It's just not correct. I mean, I've been there myself. I've been at nine or 10 points myself. It's how it goes. 
but I don't think the things that Norris got the penalty points for, let's say you would get to 12, you don't deserve a ban for that. I said it before myself, I think two years ago, we should look into that. Mm-hmm. So the concern is, and, and there is some nuance, and, and we'll, we'll get a little bit more into it, is A, did Lando force Sergio Perez onto the gravel and Sergio Perez to do it later on? Or was this a racing incident? So the argument that the drivers have and several of the team principals have is that when you try and do an overtake on the outside, like Sergio did, and you try and do an overtake at a track like Austria, which has, because everyone's been asking for it, has gravel right up close to the edge of the track, and you cannot make that pass, there's nowhere else for you to go. You're going to end up in the gravel. And that's the risk you take by trying to make that pass on the outside. And, you know, we'll, we'll hear from Christian Horner in a minute who says that um, this is something that these guys learn from karting. If you try and make a pass on the outside and you are not, and, and you cannot pull that off, you're going off the track. How it is mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean that that deserves a penalty. Well, there's that part, but there's also the sheer fact of if the person on the inside, the one that's ahead that you're trying mm-hmm. to pass up from the outside, that person stays on the, you know, it's one thing if they stay on the racing line, mm-hmm. then that person hasn't pushed you into the gravel. You failed to make the pass because the racing line would naturally take you to where you don't have any more room. Well, the question is, at what point do, is it determined that the driver on the racing line, the leading driver, has to yield room and yield the racing line to the overtaking driver? Mm-hmm. Is it when the other driver is alongside or ahead? So Will Buxton, and, and he, he had a long, basically, tweet thread Oh my. Because he ran into Derek Warwick. So what will relate? Caught up with Derek Warwick at the airport on the way home today. Um, will is in agreement with his and the stewards' decision yesterday. He told me how much they had to wrestle with Lando's initial penalty, but that ultimately it was a pretty clear breach of the regulations. When the attacking car is substantially alongside, racing room has to be given. This is as true in corners as it is on straights. If the leading car edged the attacking car off track on a straight, it's a slam dunk penalty. The same goes in corners. You can't just run people off. Let's imagine the move was on the inside. If the attacking driver had managed to get up and level with the lead driver, get up and level, and the lead driver slammed the door shut to such an extent that the attacker was pushed off the track, again, you'd say slam dunk penalty. But just as sure, just as shoving your nose up the inside doesn't guarantee a pass. Neither does having a sniff around the outside. You've got to be alongside or marginally ahead at some point of the corner, breaking zone included, to be judges owed that racing room. And the he's just following the racing line argument doesn't wash either. If the lead driver was on the racing line at turn four, the inside line is the only way through. For an outside pass to be possible, the lead driver has to have changed line and gone defensive already. This isn't making overtaking easy. 
It isn't making defending impossible. It's simply reinforcing the requirement for racing room. And ultimately, that all comes down to respect and racecraft. And while I see some of the point there, he also then, I mean, he goes on to, to concede that if the lead driver was on the racing line at turn four, which Lando was, and the video shows that Lando clearly was, the inside line is the only way through. For an outside pass to be possible, the lead driver has to have changed line and gone defensive already. He was on the racing line. So basically they're saying that because Sergio, Sergio was on the outside, Lando should have yielded to him. And that's, that's not how that works. And that's the problem I have is he clearly stated that if Sergio was going to make that pass, Lando had had to not be on the racing line. Mm-hmm. And Lando was clearly on the racing line. And if you're on the racing line, you should be allowed to stay on the racing line. Especially as the lead driver. Correct. I have an issue with that. I have a lot of issues with that. Um, now... Of all, we don't have this happen very often, but I have to point out when it does. We're in agreement with Christian Horner here. That you should think bigger than your team? Well, there's that too. But so on this specific incident, and and he's right, we heard this. But later on in the interview, in, in an interview with Sky F1, he said, I think I said in the commentary that I didn't have a major problem with the Lando move. It was racing. It was hard racing. It was wheel to wheel. So then to have get a penalty for that, I guess they gave themselves no choice when he had the same with Charles. And he's talking about Sergio here. But that's racing. Otherwise, you're going to get drivers just chucking themselves off the circuit and claiming penalties. So it's a bit disappointing. For me, that's hard racing. And that's, I think, the big thing there. And, and, and is so... If you want to go and draw a penalty on on another driver, just go ahead and attempt to pass them on the outside. Pretend that you get thrown off the track, and the the defending driver gets a five second penalty. Right. That that's basically what we've just done. Mm-hmm. Only if Derek Warwick is your steward, though. Mm-hmm. Because I'm not convinced that this will happen at other tracks. I think this will. Or if he's not the, well, the driver's steward. That, that's been one of the other arguments here is that we saw something very similar in Monza at the start of the season. and Or not Monza, at Imola, rather. Mm-hmm. We haven't been to Monza yet. At Imola at the start of the season. The difference, though, one was a they, they didn't call a penalty, but B was that there wasn't a gravel runoff area. It was an asphalt runoff area. And they didn't call a penalty for it. And I, I kind of think that if you're going to call penalties for this kind of behavior, you call it for the asphalt runoff area, not the gravel runoff area. Because there's a natural penalty for a gravel. But runoff. but even still, you all right, you, you look at it in Imola, and yes, you've got the, the asphalt runoff area. But the driver that you're calling the penalty on is the driver that's defending, not the one that got run off the track or ran off the track mm-hmm. because they couldn't make the turn. Yeah. Now, so, I mean, I get why we're agreeing with Christian. And it is not often. But <laughs> the other thing to keep in mind is one of his drivers didn't just get one of these penalties. He got it twice. And the thing is, 
Christian's not saying that those penalties were unjust. He's not arguing that the the penalties that Sergio got were unjust. I think there's a knock-on effect because Sergio did the same thing Norris did and got the penalty just like Norris did. So if... If you say that the Norris penalty is unjust, then by the transitive property of math, the penalties against well, Perez are equally as unjust. And, and arguably, I think one of them was equally unjust. So one of the penalties that Perez got, and both of them that, that Perez got were for uh, Charles Leclerc in a similar type situation. However... In one of those situations, when you looked at the replay, Charles was ahead going into the corner. And based on that and based on the rules, yes, I would agree that a penalty for Sergio in that situation was totally appropriate because of the fact that the rules say, and we've seen this before, that if the attacking driver is ahead, and then that was in, in the, the readback that we just had there, if the attacking driver is ahead, you have to leave room. And in one of those cases, Charles was ahead. Not both of them, but one of them, he was ahead. Okay. So even still, by my transitive property Mm -hmm. concept, Horner can attack the Norris penalty because it also attacks the Perez penalty. Yeah. So. But the, the point that's made, though, okay, is if you're the attacking driver and you're coming up on the outside, and you don't think you can make that pass, just let go of the steering wheel, run off track a little bit. Mm -hmm. Oh, he forced me off the track. Yeah. But again, because our stewards change every race, because all of those things are not consistent, you can't bank on the fact that they're going to get a five-second penalty the second time around. You've got to wait for the first guy to get the penalty and say, oh, look, yeah. that's that's now our, our, our strategy. But Well, what we're going to see happen, and what I'm sure we're going to hear about at the next race, which I believe is Silverstone, um, is this is going to be a topic of discussion in the driver's meeting, in, in, in multiple driver's meetings i'm sure throughout the entire weekend um michael Massey is going to get pressed on this quite a bit even though it was michael it was not michael who made the call it was the the stewards it's going to be around the instructions that are given to the stewards on this situation um and, and i think there's going to be a lot of talk about that um but everyone's saying the same thing if you try and make a pass on the outside and you can't you're going off the track that doesn't mean you penalize the defending driver. Exactly. The other concern that I have is, in a lot of ways, this reminds me, I think it was all the way back in 2015, we, we saw the fairly consistent, heavy-handed use of penalties mm-hmm. for hard racing, that not necessarily there was contact, but hard racing in areas where we saw um, large asphalt runoffs and one or both drivers getting penalties for forcing another driver off the track or for going off the track or exceeding track limits or whatever during these types of head-to-head battles. And what we saw not long afterwards when, when that pattern emerged was that drivers stopped going head-to-head with each other. 
mm-hmm. and we saw fewer battles. And the races got boring, and they got more processional up until Formula One said, yeah, you know, we're going to take this approach of letting them race, which is what I thought we were seeing and until this weekend. what we were hearing the commentators, like, I thought we were letting them race. Mm-hmm. I thought we were letting them race. And, you know, that's the thing is you're right. The number of penalties that got handed out in this one race really sends a strong message that, oh, we mean let them race, but not all the time. You know, we race as one, except in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, there's that too. Now, to be clear, some of these penalties were totally justified. Okay. There, there were a few that happened that were totally justified. So Esteban Ocon's penalty was for speeding in the pit lane during free practice three. And there was a fine of 400 euros that went to Alpine. Um, There's a lot of question about Sebastian Vettel's penalty for blocking Alonso. Not that he was in the wrong about blocking Alonso. It was more the fact that, yeah, he blocked Alonso, but there was nowhere else for him to go because there were four other cars in front of him that were going just as slow. So... So why didn't the four cars in front of him also get a penalty? Exactly. And and that's been a lot of the question around Vettel's penalty. Um, Lance Stroll's penalty, again, totally justified, speeding in the pit lane during the race. Um, Kimi Raikkonen had a penalty for speeding in the pit lane during free practice too. Um, Antonio Giovinazzi overtaking Alonso under a safety car period during the race. Okay, I heard that one. That was, yeah, that was... Totally justified. Um, the the other one, again, well, actually not one, two, totally justified. Yuki Sonoda for crossing the pit lane and li- the pit line, the pit lane line entry on entry into the pit lane. Oh, my. He did it twice. <laughs> and when you look at it, on one hand, it's like, well, it was only a tire, but... He did it twice. Yeah. And he did it twice at a track that they raced at last week. Yeah, he should know where that line is. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, that's the thing with Yuki is... He's consistent. He, he He's one of these exciting racers, but he's got to get some control. Yeah. He has got to get some control. Otherwise, he's not long for Formula One. No. Um... Nikita Mazepin, not respecting double-wave yellows for the Raikkonen and Vettel crash during the race. Nick Latifi, not respecting wave re- double-wave yellows for the Raikkonen and, and Vettel crash during the race. Those I can understand. Although, on the, the one piece with that, though. So we had that incident. Mm-hmm. It took us how long before we saw that? Hey, look, there's yellows. Wow. Hey, look, there's yellows. Hey, look, there's yellows. <laughs> You know, I, I get it. Max ran away with the race, but he ran away with the race and we had double yellows on the, on the uh, course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I can't say this was a particularly great race, personally. It was not. There were a couple of really cool moments, but moments don't make a race. What I will say is there was some really good action in the rest of the pack that we did see that we don't normally get to see. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of tension and a lot of excitement around Lando Norris. And we'll get to, to a little more about him, I think, in, in a little bit. In the um, third half of the show? Yeah, in the third half of the show that we may or may not get to. Um, and then George Russell. George. 
I mean, seriously. I have to go back to, if he didn't have bad luck, he'd have no luck at all. He does everything he can to do the right thing. And he gets it into Q3 this time for the first time in years for Williams. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, he's driving above that car's weight. I mean, seriously. He, he he's really is. He's out driving that car. He's an absolute phenomenal driver to get out of that what he can get out of it. He puts it into the Q3. He's up in the top 10 start. He goes out on his formation lap and he's like, oh, no. Well, well not just. He didn't just put it into Q3. He qualified ninth in Q3, which means he ran out there. And on merit, ended up not at the back of, you know, not 10th. Not 10th. But the better part about that is he got into Q3 on the mediums. Yeah, not on the softs. There was another team that couldn't make it into Q3 without being on the softs. Aston. Yeah. So he was on the mediums. He was on the right tire with the front racers were wanting to be on Mm -hmm. and made it there. I mean... That tells me that had he done it on the softs, he definitely would have made it into Q3. Yeah. Um, But he pushed it to get into Q3 on the mediums. And then on merit, not just the bottom of the the top 10. I mean, it did everything right. He was running up at 7th. I mean, he gained places on the start. He was running up at... he lost places on the start. Oh, did he lose? He lost two on the start. And then he gained up... He gained it back. He gained up to 7th for a while. He was running Mm -hmm. in 7th. And then started dropping back. And he was holding really steady to ninth. Till. Alonso. Yeah. Ten laps left and a battle. And a hell of a battle with Alonso. Yeah. And he held him off for a while and he was fighting hard. So what Russell had to say about this. Been in F1 for three years now. But that was the first time I've really battled with anybody. I've had a couple of overtakes here and there. But I've never had... A wheel-to-wheel battle. So I'm pleased that I held my own and I didn't do anything crazy or silly. For what it was worth, it was quite good fun. If you could choose anybody to have behind you in that situation, you wouldn't choose Fernando. He didn't make it easy. (laughs) But he said that, you know, he was not disheartened when he realized that uh, his chance for points had slipped away. He said, ultimately, you get what you deserve and those guys were faster than us. We did a great job yesterday, Saturday, over one lap, but they were inherently that a bit faster than us and were always going to come through. In another race where we finished just outside the points with no top cars retiring, it almost seems typical. P11, every single car finished bar Esteban Ocon, who is behind us. Overall, it's been very promising, and I think we're making some good progress. So, you know, we, we know that, that George and, and Lando Calrissian Norris are good friends. Mm-hmm. And they were in the pen together uh, doing interviews. And George walked over to Lando while he was giving his interview to congratulate him on, on his second place. And, you know, after congratulating him, George looked at Lando and said, wow, you're really sweaty. And Lando said, no, that's not sweat, that's champagne. <laughs> <laughs> and there is a huge love fest going on right now between lando and lewis 
Lando well, was or, or Lewis was extremely impressed by Lando in the first half of the race and the battle that they had for position early on in the race. And then the second half of the race when Lando passed him again. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Lewis very impressed with Lando's performance. Um, a lot of people are hugely impressed with Lando's performance, not the least of which is Jeremy Clarkson. Jeremy Clarkson had something who, who to say about Lando Calrissian made, Norris. Made a, a tweet that you know really starting to believe that that Lando is the real deal. You know, was asking if anybody else thought so as well. And, and Zach Brown said, uh, "Yeah, we do." <laughs> <laughs> there was a partial interview that I caught with Zach after the race that I, I swear you would have thought Zach was the proud papa. I mean. <laughs> And they've got that kind of a relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. I have to tell you that when Lewis retires, and Lewis will retire. You mentioned this last week, too. I think I think Lando's my guy. I've been toying with it being George, because, I mean, I really do like George. George is a strong racer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, my heart breaks for George, because I think that he's he's that in that triad of things you need to be a world champion. He's suffering. You know, you have to be the right driver. You have to be a, yeah. a phenomenal driver. He's got that. He's starting to show that. He's showing that he's a really good driver. But you got to have the right team and you have to have the right time. Mm-hmm. I mean, there have been some really, really good drivers that are in decent teams. But because Lewis has been so particularly dominant, they're they not. Had a gonna, chance. They haven't had a chance. I mean, we're finally seeing Max start to come up, and I mean, obviously, he's leading the championship. And yes, it gives me, you know, agita. But the reality is, Max would have been a world champion two years ago if he wasn't having, you know, yeah. some car issues, and he had to grow up a little bit. But he also, there's other drivers that have got the experience, and then there's the Lewis factor. But I've got a lot of hope for George, but just on personality and such, Lando, Lando's stealing my heart. Yeah. Um, the good news for Lando is that he hit that team as they have started to rebuild and return to form. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if we'll necessarily see them as a constructor or, or constructor champion in, in their current guys um but at least you know this is a great opportunity for lando to have some success as opposed to what george has been stuck with of trying to grind it away at the back waiting for a better seat to open yeah and that i think is the difference between the two of them george is having to wait until there's a seat Mm -hmm. and hope that somebody sees the potential that he hasn't been able to show in the car that he's in. Lando's got a good seat and a car that's been improving and he's improving along with it. So he's also developing in a little bit better trajectory. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to the two of them. But I do hope that they stay good friends too because I really think that they're really supportive of each other. I think they will as long as they're not on the same team. That would be key. That would be key. So... Another person who is a big fan of George Russell. Total Wolf. Fernando Alonso. Oh, yeah. So Fernando, post-race, said it was very intense. 
unfortunately for only one point, but it felt like it was the last lap of the championship for us. At one point, it was gold for him and for ourselves after starting 14th, it was nice. In a way, when I saw it was George, I felt a little bit sad the battle had to be with him. I think he will have the opportunity to stand on the podium and fight for race wins. I guess in the future if he goes to Mercedes. I enjoyed today. One point starting 14th was not expected as our simulations this morning. uh, They were a little more pessimistic than P10, so I will take the point. Um, But after the race, Fernando went up to George and gave him a hug. And we know that Fernando has been extremely supportive of of George over the, the last couple of years. Well, and in that regard, this is one of those things that I think Fernando is really missing his mark. And the the mentor type. Mm-hmm. I think that moving into a world where he's developing drivers and being in a place where he could mentor and grow drivers. I think that would be where his heart is. I mean, he's got his cart track. He's mm-hmm. he's he's got the youth side, um, but so for him to start post F one a driver development program, yeah, I think that would be where his heart really, really is. Um, if he could just get over himself as being the greatest driver. I think he would be more successful and more effective at that than Nico Rosberg. Oh, yeah. And remember, Nico started a program. Yeah. Yeah, I know. We all forgot, too. But really, he did. I thought he was just being Eurotrash and vlogger. Well, he's doing that, too. Oh, okay. And and maybe he he's a bit because that's the other thing is we haven't heard anything about Nico's driver development program since the first couple of months. So I'm wondering if he decided that he was you know going to work the Euro Trash vlogger angle um, to the detriment of everything else. Possibly. See what I could see. What I see for Alonzo. Maybe I need to be his life coach. What I see for him. Okay. Reach out to him. Let him know. Uh, let him know. Offer your services. <laughs> Because I have such a history of life coaching. Yeah, well. Um, I could honestly see him becoming very much like like a Mario Andretti. Um, you know, a very big uh, spokesperson for the sport. I mean, because people know him. People love yeah. him. You know, there's all of that part of the Mario side. But Mario also invested in talent and moving people up and creating... <clears throat> that world and not necessarily yeah. in the team ownership side that Mario Well the whole family expanded into autosports. It's a family business for them. Right. And and I think that's kind of the big difference when it comes to Fernando is that it's just him. Well and his cat. <laughs> and his cat. And his cat. Well even though he's not a cat person. Him and his cat. Well, you know, Lewis has the bulldog. Fernando has a cat. Yeah. This tells you a lot about Fernando. all right so um even though we know that for the most part mercedes has stopped developing the car Mm -hmm. they're still doing some work Mm -hmm. um and one of the the things that i guess total wolf was questioned about free practice too is um there was a lot of flow viz on the car in free practice two in austria which 
you know, seems a little odd if you're not doing any more developing and, and any more work around that. Um, what he did say is, well, you know, they're still trying to understand the design direction and, and general philosophy around this. They can't use the wind tunnel anymore. Mm. They can't use the wind tunnel anymore because it's been calibrated for next year's car. So things like Flovis and CAD designs and uh, computational fluid dynamics, that's really all they have at this point to determine what changes they want to make. And again, we, we've already mentioned the majority of the development attention has been focused to 2022. And Toto has acknowledged that, you know, at this point financially, it's about looking at the long term. And even if that means sacrificing a championship this year mm-hmm. with the major change that's coming next year, they've resigned themselves that it makes better sense to sacrifice this year's championship and a fight for this year's championship than it is to not invest in the future designs. With the limits and the cost cap and the limits and all the other pieces there, that's the way to go. Now that said, there are some upgrades coming for next weekend's race at Silverstone. Or not next weekend's. The next race in Silverstone. Oh, okay. Um, Wouldn't necessarily expect that that's going to make up the gap that we're looking at here. Well, I mean, if Lewis doesn't finish the race on three <clears throat> tires, it's going to be a disappointment. Well, then you're going to be disappointed. <laughs> oh, darn. I can't imagine. That we'll ever have a three-tire finish again? Yeah. And she agrees. Our studio audience is being as pessimistic as you are. Yes. Um, now, there was one very important lesson learned from last year. Keep all four tires so that you can cross the finish line. No. I know where you're going. Negotiate, negotiate and sign Lewis's contract. And get it done. Get it out of the way. Don't play the, oh, well, we're just focusing on the championship this year and it'll come when it happens. And yeah, don't play that game anymore. Now, apparently it was basically a copy and paste between the current contract and the next one, but Lewis has officially been signed for two more years with Mercedes. See, and I think that that's the brilliant move because we know, like all of us pretty much agree that Lewis is going to retire after he hits his eighth. I I, I just, I, I foresee that we're done at the eighth. So I think what has happened is Lewis has accepted that this year may not go his way. Mm-hmm. And he's buying himself two years of the new generation to get the eighth and then tap out. Because I know he, he's he's getting close to wanting to be done. I pursue think the other question Lewis. is how hard of a fight it is for the eighth. Mm-hmm. If his eighth is, you know, as challenging as his sixth or his seventh, he'll stay for a ninth. Yeah. If it's a hard-fought battle where it's nip and tuck with any other team for the majority of the year, he's going to tap out. Yeah. And the question would be, would he tap out at the end of his contract or would he tap out as soon as he won the title? Would he pull a Rosberg? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, that that's, that's the question. But... Two-year deal. Okay. Um, so for 2022, 
So we know that Honda's pulled out. We talked about this last year, and, and really, uh, Honda. I, I even asked the question more now of is Honda regretting this decision to pull out? Mm-hmm. But for 2022, the engines that Red Bull will be using will continue to come from Honda from their Sakura Japan facility. Okay. So they're going to be rebadged Hondas. Yes. Um, now, that the, the team is calling this a transitionary year. And I assume that means because they plan on pulling everything to the facility that they're building in Milton Kynes. Um, and the, the facility won't be ready for next year is why they're doing this transition year. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And then we don't have details, and, and but there was mention on the Sky Sports pre-race coverage this week of a meeting that was held with the engine suppliers and, um, uh, oh, I just lost his name. Stefano Domenicali. <laughs> that guy. Random yeah. Italian. So Some random Italian. <laughs> um, discussion around the, specifically the 2025 engine rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's already some theory that, well, maybe they're going to push them back another year. We don't know. Um, but present at the meeting is believed to be Stefano Domenicali and Ross Braun for F1. John Todd for the FIA. No surprise there. Um, John Elkin for representing Ferrari, Luca DeMeo representing Alpine Renault, Ola Kalenius representing Mercedes, and the VW Group being represented by Audi chairman and overall Group R&D head Marcus Deusman and by Porsche CEO Oliver Bloom. The thought is that these discussions and the reason why they're being that, that the VW group is being invited is, again, a last-ditch effort to try and entice new manufacturers into the series. And we know Porsche has been dancing around. Mm-hmm. We know VW has been dancing around. We've heard rumblings that maybe um, Audi is dancing around. Of course, all the same group. Right. Um, but supposedly the last engine that Porsche built for their WEC car, Porsche believed could have been easily adapted to Formula One. Interesting. But they elected not to do it. Mm. So we do know from from listening to... Um, well, actually, we didn't hear a whole lot. But... We do know from listening to Stefano Domenicali that it sounded like there was good discussions. They're hoping that there's some agreements that are going to come out of it and that this meeting advanced those discussions. At this point, we don't know about new partners. And that's, of course, one of the other questions is, okay, so you attract a new engine provider. Who would be their customer today? Hmm. Now that would be interesting. You know, if Red Bull is strongly considering taking on engine development of some form, so that takes Red Bull and Alpha Tori. Mm-hmm. McLaren has a deal with Mercedes, and I'm not sure that Zach Brown's really going to be willing to go with an untested engine provider again. 
Right. Williams is tied up with Mercedes. Aston Martin's tied up with Mercedes. You've got the Haas and the Alfa Romeos that are tied up with Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Ferrari and Mercedes are constructors. And, and guarantee, I mean, maybe you could peel off Haas, but you're not going to peel off Alfa Romeo for the VW group. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be the question is... Even if you convince them to come in, who are you going to convince to buy the engine? Well, that's going to be... that. You're right. That's the big question. Because um, you don't have a truly independent team right now. Yeah. Um, but then the other question is, we currently only have 10 teams in Formula One. There is there room for more? There Fields. would be remo- There would be room for more, but that would be the other question of, well, okay... Who would then be bringing this team? Mm-hmm. Because while we've heard that VW Group had an interest in possibly becoming an engine constructor, we didn't. We have not heard any kind of rumors about them even remotely considering starting a team. True. True. Well, you know that if the boy was here, he would strongly suggest that this would be the rise of Caterham again. Yeah, he would, but not happening. And on that note, we'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Okay. Are they all gone? Is, is there is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.